All right, James chapter 2 and verse 19 is going to be our text tonight. James chapter 2, verse 19. The scripture here says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Let me read that again. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Now the book of James, you'll find from the first chapter, that it is written to the twelve tribes scattered abroad, the twelve tribes of Israel. So it's written to the Jews, and uh, it has a definite tribulation context. As you look through the book of James, you find uh, James and God supernaturally giving Israel instruction and um, comfort and help in the tribulation that they will be in during the tribulation here on earth. Now, as believers, we understand from the scriptures that we are going to be raptured out of here before that. But James chapter 2, in verse 18, as far as this context goes, he says in verse 18, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Now, we know and understand in Ephesians 2, 8, that salvation is not of works, lest any man should boast. But when you have a true faith, in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the fact that you realize you're a sinner, separated from God because of your sin, and that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and lived a perfect, sinless life, died on that cross, was buried, and rose again the third day. And when you trust Christ as your Savior, and you have a true faith in Him, it will produce fruit in your life. We looked at that a little bit this morning with Colossians. But tonight, we're going to see, uh, as far as the context goes here, James is writing to the Jews with a tribulation context. In verse 18, he just says, I'm going to show you my faith by what I do. Now, in verse 19, he says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well, the devils also believe and tremble. We're going to look at a startling revelation tonight here in our text. Number one is, Thou believest that there is one God. James says, Thou believest that there is one God. And you know, we, and we specifically here in our local community, we live in a very religious community. Um, if I went to... Um, the high school tomorrow and just lined up a thousand kids and asked them, do you believe that there's a God? Do you believe in God? I am, I'm guessing that many of them would say, yes, I believe in God. But they don't recognize their desperate need of a savior. They, they believe in God, that, that he exists, but that's just a first step. And, you know, we, we have a very spiritually hunger a spiritually hungry culture in our age. They're very sensitive and very seeker. Uh, they're trying to seek out the truth and find it in many different ways. But when you look at where our, the biblical position is, um, that Christ is the only way, you know, the world doesn't accept that. So we have a very religious community, but that's all it is, is religion. It, it's, not, it, it's not a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So... James here was familiar, and he was around religious people as well. He says, thou believes that there is one God. He doesn't condemn him for that. Number two, thou doest well. You know, that's a good place for people to start. In order to acknowledge Christ as your Savior, you have to at least start somewhere in believing in God. But he says, thou doest well. He doesn't rebuke him for this belief. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, the scripture says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now, it's a good starting place, but this is not enough to save a man. For somebody just to believe that there's a God, or even to know intellectually that Christ died for him, there must come a time in every individual's life when they realize that they're a sinner, and there is no, nothing that can save them except for the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
And when a person places their faith and trust in Christ alone, at that moment, the scripture says in Ephesians that he is sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. And he is, uh, in other words, uh, he is born again. Uh, we use a few different terms that way. So uh, let me do say this. I don't want to, I hope I didn't say it this way. But cr- becoming a Christian is not a process. It's not that I believe in God and then somewhere down the line, I add a little more to that. Getting saved, coming to know Christ your Savior, happens at a moment in time, at a point in time. It's not a process. So belief in God is not enough to save a man's soul. We know that because he goes on and he says, the devils also believe, number three, the devils also believe and tremble. Now at this rate, we just went through these points, we might be done in about five minutes, but here's where all the scripture comes in, okay? So, uh, but number three, the, this is fascinating to me. He has just said, you believe that there's one God, you're doing well. You, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. The devils also believe and tremble. I want to talk to you tonight about the devils also believe. Letter A, uh, look, hold your place here in James. We will be back here, but look at Matthew chapter 8. You know, Satan believes in God. And uh, many of you that have been soul winning and many of you that have shared your faith in Christ, when people, if you've asked someone, if you are... If you have asked someone out soul winning, are you 100% sure that if you died today that you go to heaven? I, I know many of you have gotten the response of this. Yes, I believe in God. And many of you have been able to use this verse from James and say, really, that's, that's a good starting place. But you know, Satan believes in God. And you're able to, to, to use that verse in soul winning to show them that it's more than just believing in God. It's placing your personal faith and trust in Christ and his finished work on the cross. But the devils here believe, and we're going to see that here in Matthew chapter 8, in verses 28 and 29, the scripture says, And when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? That's interesting. That's an interesting acknowledgement of who Christ is. So these devils, they know who it is. Jesus, thou son of God, thou son. I think in other places in the Gospels, they call him the son of the most high. And yet the Pharisees don't recognize the deity of Jesus Christ. But here these demons, these devils, they acknowledge who Jesus Christ is. So the devils also believe and tremble. That's an amazing response. And it's a proper response to who Jesus Christ is. You see, many in our day, they say, well, I believe in God. But when you confront them with their sin, they just, they just blow it off. Well, pff, you know, I'm not really that bad. And you try and show them how our sin before a holy God demands justice. It, it, it demands judgment. And God, in order to, because He is a good God, because He is a, a just and holy God, He must punish sin. And you begin to deal with people and, and show them from the Scriptures that whether, whether it be they're lying or, uh, you know, you just go through the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Don't make unto thee any graven image. Um, honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And you begin to show people their sin, their, their personal sin, and they just kind of fluff it off. But it is amazing to see when the Holy Spirit of God gets a hold of a lost person's heart and they begin to have a proper response to their sin before God and it should be trembling. The devils, they believe in God and they tremble. 
this word tremble, let me give you the definition. It means to shake involuntarily as with fear, to quiver or shiver or shudder. All, it, it, when you describe it, it almost makes you get goosebumps, doesn't it? Almost kind of shiver. And uh, I was trying to think of a couple different illustrations. Uh, let me give you this one. When I was out at West Coast Baptist College uh, in, in college, it, it was uh, about 45 minutes from Edwards Air Force Base there in the middle of the desert in Lancaster, California. Edwards Air Force Base was not far off. And I remember going to class one day, and I th- it had to have been my first semester there. And, I, you know, we live, obviously, close to Wright Pat, and every once in a while you'll see, like, an AC-130 or some big carrier Hercules plane going around. But I remember walking to class, and all of a sudden I hear, and I look over, and this is, um, I was there in 2003, so just a few years after September 11th. I look up, and there is a Cobra helicopter combing the desert, coming toward this school. And, you know, I didn't go like all my black helicopter theories came. No, I'm just kidding. That's supposed to be a pun. But I see this, this black Cobra helicopter coming my way. And I'm, I'm just, I am trembling. I'm thinking, what is going on? And, and come to find out, I started asking around. Because everybody else, or everybody else is just kind of walking around. Doo, 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 doo. I'm thinking, why is nobody freaking out over this Cobra helicopter coming at us? Well, apparently one of the church members, the church there is about like three or 4,000 people, and they have a ministry at the base. And one of the guys in the church is, was like a sergeant or lieutenant or something, whatever the Air Force has. Um, but every once in a while, he would do kind of a flyover just because he was cool and he went to the church. And I'm thinking, you know, if I trembled over one of those things, I can't imagine. You know, you see the pictures of our Apache helicopters and stuff. They're flying in like fleets of 12, 16 of them just lighten stuff up, you know. I can't imagine 14 of those things coming at you over the desert. I can't imagine that. Uh, here and there, you'd see a stealth fighter, a stealth bomber, and you never heard those things till they were passed by you. That was freaky. You know, all of a sudden you hear, and you look up, and the thing is like, you know, that way, and it had flown over you already. Um, but, you know, those are kind of fun things, but in a real trembling way, if you guys remember seeing different pictures from September 11th, I think probably the most, to me, the pictures that I saw that made me tremble the most is when I, when you saw the pictures of people that had actually jumped out of the building and were falling. That, to me, made me tremble. It, it, I had an involuntary response to a photograph like that that, that is beyond words. So these, these devils, notice in Matthew chapter 8, in verse uh, 29, he says, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? So they tremble before the Lord. Now notice this. Why do they tremble? Let me give you three reasons why they tremble. Number one, they know that they were not spared. They know that they were not spared. Um, I believe I've got each of these references for you, just for the sake of time. I really wanted to give you the scripture on this. So these should be in your handout. Luke ten eighteen, the Lord Jesus Christ said unto them, he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Satan did not get a second chance when he sinned against God. Isaiah 14, 13 says, for thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. And God says that to Satan here, Lucifer, 
Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Satan didn't get a second chance. And then 2 Peter 2, 4, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. See, God did not spare those angels that sinned. When they made that choice to sin against God, He cast them down to hell. It's one of the reasons they tremble. They know that they were not spared. You know, you and I, you know that we got a second chance. The Bible says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. That the first Adam, when he sinned against God, the Bible says, For as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. You and I, God has given us the opportunity to trust Christ as our Savior. We, we did have a way out. We did have a way of escape from the judgment of God. But the angels, they weren't spared. Secondly, they've been conquered. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I want you to notice the two words, principalities and powers. You and I, as Christians, are engaged in a spiritual war against these powers and principalities, against these rulers of darkness. Satan is the god of this world. And he's blinded the minds of those that have not believed on him. And so when you and I try and give somebody the gospel, we're not wrestling physically with that person. We're wrestling and using the word of God, the sword of the spirit, to cut through the darkness that Satan has used to blind their minds. So that you have the principalities and powers and notice what Christ did with them in his sacrifice. Colossians two fourteen here says blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Aren't you glad that the ordinances, the handwriting, the judgment of God that was against you and it was against us. It was contrary to us. Jesus Christ took it out of the way and nailed it to his cross and said, I have paid the penalty. I paid the price. So Christ has taken that out of the way. And notice what happened. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. If you guys remember when uh, Brother Jeff Faggart was here last week, and if you missed either of the services last week, you've got to get a CD from the messages that were, that were preached. In the morning, he talked about those bulls of Bashan being those devils that compassed the Lord about. And they, 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 they were just waiting for the Son of God to be snuffed out because they thought that they had Him. They thought that they had destroyed God's plan for man's redemption. And they thought that they would take care of the Son of God. But when He died and rose again, He made a show of them openly. And, and showed them and shamed them openly, publicly. But before who? <laughs> I just happen to think it was before the entire universe. When you look at the innumerable company of angels that were ready as they watched the Son of God bleeding and pouring out His life's blood for mankind. They, they, I wonder if many of them thought, Lord, those, those human beings, they're not worth that. And as they looked down, they said, just let us go. Just let us go have our way with those devils. We'll take care of them. And, and they had the, the Scripture says of the angels... There's an innumerable company that before the throne of God, there are thousands of thousands of them and they were ready to do battle. They were ready to take those demons out. But Jesus Christ said, I lay down my life. No man taketh it from me. He laid down his life that he might take it again. And when he did, can you imagine those angels saying, oh, he had it. He had it taken care of the whole time. 
when Jesus Christ rose from the dead and showed the entire universe that he is God and his purpose and his plan will be accomplished and he loves man and he has chosen to redeem wicked and sinful people like you and me. Oh, it just he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. You and I were engaged in a war that has already been won. Game's over, we win. Not because we're great, but because we're on God's side. Because we have trusted in Christ as our Savior, and He is coming back. He will sit on the throne of David, and He will reign and rule for a thousand years from Jerusalem, and then we get to spend eternity with Him. So He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And then, so not only um, do they realize that they weren't spared, not only do they realize that they're conquered, but they know, they tremble before God because they know what's prepared. They know what's prepared. In Matthew chapter 8 here, he says, Jesus, thou son of God, art thou come hither to torment us before the time? Now, I imagine that I didn't hear those words said, so I imagine there could have been sarcasm uttered in those words. That's true. If, If you want to argue that, I'd give you that. All right. Maybe the devil was like, art thou to... Come to judge us before the time. There's a chance that he said it was sarcasm. But I don't really think so. Just because I don't think so. (laughs) He says, what time is he talking about? Well, apparently he understands that there is a time coming in which they will be judged. And notice these scriptures with me. Jude 1, 6. In the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the the great day. Uh, That time, the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Matthew 25, 41. Then shall shall he say unto them, on the left hand, the Lord Jesus Christ here speaking, to these people, depart from me, ye cursed, and to everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I mean, yesterday morning, the speaker, he gave a just he went through Luke 16 and showed different things about hell, that hell is a real place. It's a place of torment. It's a place where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. It is a real, literal place. And he went through that. And you know what, what strikes me from this verse? Man was never intended to go there. Hell was a place that has been prepared, but it it was prepared for the devil and his angels. Man was never intended to go there, but he chose to go there when he chose to sin against God. You say, well, if God loves everybody, why, why does he send people to hell? Hell was never meant for man. It was prepared for the devil and his angels to punish them and to bring glory to God. It wasn't meant for man. But we chose that when we sinned against God. So hell is a place that's prepared for the devil and his angels. And I can't help but think, John 14, um, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. You know what? Do you have a place prepared by God? Think about this. All of us do. Every single person has a place prepared for them by God. And it's either going to be hell or it's going to be heaven. 
And so as a believer in Jesus Christ and having asked him, you know, uh, being saved, we get to know that we have a place of mansion prepared for us. So they know that it's a prepared place. Look at Revelation twelve nine. What else happens with this prepared place? And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil. It's just kind of like God from beginning to end just validates his word, right? That old serpent, that, that's account of what happened in Genesis. Uh, that really happened. And so that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, was cast out into the earth. And his angels were cast out with him. And uh, go ahead and look in, the, in, in Revelation. I want to notice a couple of other interesting scriptures here about this prepared place. You know, the, the devil said to the Lord, Art thou come to judge us before the time? They know that there's a time prepared and they know that there's a place prepared. We're going to see a couple more things about this. Look at Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 25. And I know uh, you guys, that you looked at the books on Wednesday night, and I know that so you'll be familiar with this passage. And uh, if you haven't been able to make Wednesday night for the adult Bible study, on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock, our pastor's going through right now, what does the Bible say about prophecy? So make sure you're there for that. He's going to learn a lot um, through this fall. But Revelation chapter 21 and verse 25 says this. Uh, you know what? We have to go back. Um, look at verse number 22. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. So this is um, New Jerusalem. And we are there with the Lord, and there's no need, there's no night there. And there's no need for these lights because Jesus Christ, His presence, is the light that we have there. We don't need those things. Now notice this. Um, look at Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. Okay, so there's no night in that New Jerusalem. Now, verse, and, and somebody might be thinking too, uh, this is interesting to me. As we went through those scriptures, we saw that God has bound these fallen angels, these devils, in everlasting chains of darkness. And somebody may ask, well, how can they be the ones that God has reserved in the darkness if they're out, you know, possessing people and stuff in the New Testament? Um, the only thing I know to say is God can do whatever He wants. And when you look at here in verse 7, look at this, verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. So here and there, God, to accomplish his purpose, he maybe lets them out. That's all I can figure on that one. So um, verse 8, he says, And that Satan shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. This, this part sticks out to me. Uh, look also in Gen Revelation 22.5. This will 
hopefully solidify this thought. Contrast this with where we are, verse Revelation twenty two five, and there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. So God says that where believers are in his presence, there is no night there. It's going to be an eternal day. But Satan is cast into the Bible says death and hell, God casts them into the lake of fire, where Satan and the beast false beast and the false prophet are. And they are tormented day and night. This is interesting to me that day and night continue for them forever and ever. And the only thing I can figure is that somehow they still, I don't know if time is passing or not passing for them. Because they will, the Bible says that they will be reserved in chains in outer darkness. And when you have day and night, when you and I think of day, we think of light, that there will be day there, that, that there would naturally be light. But God says that they'll be cast into outer darkness where there'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And from that scripture, it just seems that day and night would make hell that much more worse because you would still feel like time is passing, but it would never end. But for you and I, you know, we're in heaven with God. There's no night there and we're outside of time. So to me, it almost seems that God takes us out of time, but yet leaves hell and the lake of fire still where there's day and night forever and ever. So just some interesting uh, scriptures that uh, about the lake of fire and hell and some of those things. But here's the most important question. We can learn all about this stuff and we can know it in our head, but what about me? What about me? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.11, Paul says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. I can tell you this, hell was never meant for you. But for a person to reject Christ, that's where they'll spend eternity. But it's amazing that God, He wants us to know Him as our Savior. So Paul says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And right before that, he actually talked about his, Himself standing before the Lord. So what that tells me is, first of all, you and I have to realize that we're going to stand before the Lord. And, you know, you guys are familiar with that. You guys know that. But it's good to be reminded of it, isn't it? That you and I will stand before Jesus Christ if we are saved and give an account for what we have done in our life for Him. We're not going to give an account and pay for our sin. It's already been paid. But we will stand before Jesus Christ. And uh, the Bible talks about how He'll judge our works. And you're familiar with those passages. But then know this. Not only will we stand before God, But this religious community, the people that you and I interact with, the people that we know, every human being on this planet, they too will stand before God. And Paul says, man, knowing the terror of the Lord, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to persuade them. I'm going to give them the gospel. And, you know, did everybody that Paul gave the gospel to, did they all get saved? (laughs) No, he goes into towns and like, it's kind of like half on this side, half on this side, man. They're ready. They took him out. We looked at it in the discipleship. They took him out and they stoned him in one place. Uh, they killed him, if not half killed him. You know, Paul was the gospel wasn't received by everybody that Paul gave it to. But at the end of his life, he did say that I am free from the blood of all men. That he had, would had been faithful to accomplish God's plan and purpose for his life, and the people that God gave him in his sphere of influence, he witnessed to. And what's so amazing is each of us in here has a different sphere of influence. The people that you're going to interact with this week are going to be different than the people that over here that they interact with, that I interact with. 
in each of us, God has given us opportunity and ability to take the word of God and show them the bread of life so that they don't have to go to that place that's prepared for the devil and his angels.